Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 43 with Joseph Makos and Joseph Biavenu. And me, Jamie Bernstein. Hey, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> no, we were, we're going to do an intro. Oh, yeah, okay, whatever. Well, we that's fine. Oh. Doing so, fine. yeah, so here we are. We're back on St. Claude. We can, do, we can just leave all that in. It's great. We're back on St. Claude, and we're here today with one of my longest friends in New Orleans. I would have to say longest friend outside of New Orleans before even came before I even came to New Orleans. I think the first time you came to New Orleans, you might have come to visit me. Definitely, I would say. <laughs> Crashing on the couch. That you still own. I still have that couch. But poetry was like, at, actually from the beginning of our friendship. Absolutely. Yeah. To the gulch. Yeah. The paintings in the gulch. We yeah. Found. We, we found these these crazy paintings in Madrid, and we, we were like the only people uh, in our dorm with, with actual art on our wall. We found these, all these oil paintings. Yeah, they were just like a rolled off oil paints that someone just threw away. And so, so we, we put, all had these really great oh, oil paintings. Oh, wow. We came to the last day. We had written some poems about them, you know, because we were there studying poetry. And, and, and uh, we had written some poems about them. And I think someone there was a poem, part of a poem written on one of them. And, uh, and then we were checking out. And neither of us could really fathom putting this stuff in our luggage. So there was this construction site all the way up on top of this hill where we had gotten lunch the first day we were and it had this giant just hole in the ground, and it went down. <laughs> like was, the sub-basement had been was dug out. Like some of the, nothing left there. Turned a three-story ruins. building upside down, you know, and, and stuck it in the ground. It was just like this three-story hole. Like a hole. So we decided that the only thing... So we, you buried them in the hole. We threw them off the top. Yeah, we, did. we, we tossed them. In the so we've been up all night drinking red. This sounds like the start <laughs> of a horror movie, except instead of... Some haunted object. Someone's going to dig up these paintings in a century and be forced to write poetry for the rest of their life. Or you can look down in there and see them. They were in bullfighting poetry. Yeah. <laughs> Hemingway already lost that on the road to Pamplona. Suitcase that never arrived. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we don't have to write that. But, yeah, I don't think poetry is in my daily vocabulary, and I know that it's definitely in your daily vocabulary. And Absolutely, you know, you know, I started as a spoken word poet before I got into doing music. And I've been fairly successful with music at this point. I'm licensing songs to, to movies. And one thing I've noticed about putting words and music together is it, it seems a lot more palatable for people. You know, uh, a lot of times people get really, my wife included, you know, they get really sleepy around poetry. They get really <laughs> antsy about, you know, no matter how good the poet is, I'm really great. I've been to poetry readings, really great poets, and still seeing people like, Oh geez, I have to sit through another five minutes of this guy, you know, and and you know it, that just doesn't happen yeah, as true. much with music, you know. Music it sometimes happens sometimes. With oh, music. it certainly <laughs> does. I've certainly seen it happen <laughs> with music too, but but not as often. Uh, not, no not poetry. Seriously. That's like the the regular response almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost become a trope at this point, like the boring poetry. Yeah, people will sit in a bar and stomach 30 minutes of bad music. Yeah, yeah. But you don't want to stomach 30 minutes of bad poetry. <laughs> <laughs> Although we've all done it in like these open mic situations where oh, you have course. to sit there and, let to, every, yeah. and everyone's got to get their turn. You don't want everyone to leave when you come on. So you're like, well, I'm going to sit here for everybody and make sure that they get a chance to read. And, yeah. You know, I found it really interesting. Uh, I was doing a lot of spoken word poetry, you know, in the late 90s here in, in New Orleans. And uh, for a while, this kind of competitive poetry scene sort of washed everyone. Yeah, yeah. You know, like poetry slams and, and competition. 
and you know a lot of the things that that I really noticed was the performances got a lot better, not necessarily the publishers. No, well, well that's funny. We just had Chris Champagne on, and he was talking about that kind of era too of doing that and going to those things. And you know, that's kind of what we were saying. It's like, yeah, it does make for better performances, and, but and it almost is like the content is secondary. So I was coming out of sort of that scene, like uh, uh, where a lot of people were doing poetry then compet- competitively. I think I won a pizza once, <laughs> which was probably the most I had ever gotten paid for poetry at that point. You won a pizza. I think I, yeah, I think there was like this. I was this in was Arkansas. Not a normal. Was uh, this of, was not a normal poetry slam. Pizza was the prize. Second place was you got a pizza with whatever you wanted on. I kind of want to hear about this. What in the world is a poetry slam like in Arkansas? It was like most other poetry <laughs> slams uh, that I that I had been to, um, except for I won. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, it was fun. It was like some like. It was like a pizza place that had a big kind of back room attached to it where they had uh, uh, music shows and then poetry slams on this particular night. I was up there visiting my girlfriend at the time. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm going to go do what I do. With it. And it worked out well. I think part of it was they'd never seen me before. That's a, another thing I noticed about a lot of poetry slam type situations is a lot of times the person who walks in who everybody hasn't seen already is the guy who wins because... You know, everybody's already heard, no matter how ingenious yeah. this guy's poem was about you know, getting arrested by the police. Everybody already heard that poem. Uh, no matter how good his you know, performance was, you know, everybody's already seen it. But when somebody walks in fresh and they, they have something that you haven't heard before and they're, they're a decent performer, they usually take those those poetry sort of contests. And for me, I, I, I felt like, you know, coming from a place where I read poetry and then wrote poetry and then read out loud and then suddenly it was like competition – I didn't do a lot of poetry competitions, but I didn't feel like it really helped poetry very much. Like this kind yeah. of competitive thing, I, it it seemed uh, that it was it was creating a lot of good performers, but but not a lot of good poetry. Which is interesting because I think people kind of get stuck in one little area or another, and if you're in that area, that's kind of the danger. You get mm-hmm. good at performance, sure. you don't get good at poetry, but then a lot of the other areas, you never learn how to perform. You never. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're so true because some of the best poets are the worst readers. Yeah, you know the really slow people who shake and look down at the paper the whole time, and they they've got the fire words and the fire imagery, but it's just not coming across in that scenario. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah, I mean it is tricky. It's like a big. It is an interesting like thing to think about. Like, where's the sweet spot of performer and poet at the same time? Right. right. Like that's. I've always kind of thought. It's it's like a tricky little like uh, uh, balance to be to be is like how do you perform for me it's always been like taking the nervousness of the room and me absorbing the nervousness of the room and then like when I start to read I like spill it out back to the so audience channel it in a way. yeah channel it and like bring it back to the audience like even down to like is there music playing in the bar is everyone quiet can I hear the air conditioning like what's the scene what's the what's the vibe of people in the room and what's the What's the what's the mic sound like? Are you reading? Are you reading into a mic? Are you reading out loud? Are you reading on a stage? Are you reading on a floor? Are you reading in the back of a bar? Are you reading uh, on a podium? You know, like there's there's all these little different things involved. Yeah, and, and it's like you got to play the room. You know sure. that that's that's like that's like I think it's like 
the person who knows how to play the room the best that night sometimes is the winner. Not always, you know? Well, I mean, um, performance is, is kind of always like that in a live theatrical sort of setting. And that's really, when you get into poetry, that's really what you end up with. You know, it's a type yeah. of, it ends up being a type of theater. I, I know you, I've seen you use that yeah. to advantage in readings a number of times. <laughs> For sure. The theatrical aspect. Yeah. You know, just, just some of the business you do on the way to the stage or how you conduct yourself and you have some props with you, you know, there, some things that you do, are, you know, it's very much a theater. <laughs> there's the poem, there's the poem that I read in Madrid where Chandler pulled the name out of, where they had some of the audience pull a name out of a hat mm -hmm. and they read it. It was my name. And then I went on stage and read the poem, but it was Chandler's poem and I was reading his poem. And then he went down to the audience was correcting me. It was like, no, you're reading it wrong. And, and like corrected me and then, yeah. and then he got on stage and then we read it together back and forth. And yeah, then at the end, that, the end of the good. thing, we passed the script out to everybody and the entire thing had been scripted. <laughs> and they were, and everyone was like, what? Did you, did you really just do that to us? <laughs> I like the, I like the time that we were, in the, uh, we were in the, we were downtown at the, uh, at the gold mine and, and you brought in the typing instructional book. And, and you sort of mess around. You went up on stage. You had this typewriter instructional book, and it sort of flips up on itself. You know, so it's it does. Really yeah, interesting. It, opens, it, like, real interesting it actually prompt. opens in a way so it can be propped up, like it stands up. So, so you would just flip it open, and you would be like A S D F G L M M Q apostrophe <laughs> semicolon. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're just totally reading out of the typing instructional book, which was, you know, which was, which is definitely taking advantage of the theatrical aspect of, of the poetry. Like you published that. I'm not sure we had to. <laughs> I don't remember what you were reading the first time I saw you read the gold mine, but I do remember you set a bunch of bar stools up around the stage and were jumping from one bar stool to the other <laughs> while you were reading. I'm telling you, you got the theater part there. <laughs> I rolled a bunch of those big giant wooden barrels. That was the barrels, was, not the bar stools. Yeah, I was yeah, standing yeah. on top of the barrels. <laughs> And I took the mic stand and I raised it way up. <laughs> and it was like the mic up here and I was like way high. And I was that's like, right, it was the barrels, the little table oh, yeah. barrels. Yeah, yeah. That's classic. That's classic. <laughs> I think there's a picture of me on the internet somewhere, like on MySpace or somewhere, where it's like someone's stick. I think Dave was taking pictures of like. That sounds about Bill. right, yeah. I, like, I think Bill sent them to me. I was taking pictures of me like standing on the barrels. So, you know, I was doing that, the, the spoken word and the performance poetry stuff and, and, and writing, you know, just some, some sort of intellectual exercise poetry of my own and, and experimenting with art. And I ended up going up to West Virginia to do woodworking for a summer. And, uh, <clears throat> and we didn't have anything to do up there at night, but he had a guitar. And so he would play guitar and I would use sort of what I learned through my spoken word poetry and through creating as a poet. To, to make up songs, and that's yeah. how I got introduced to song to begin with. You know, I was really taking a lot of what I learned from my d days in New Orleans reading poetry. You know, about three years before that, uh, and and then I was able to just you know come up with improvisational lyrics really quick and jot them down. And, and then, of course, I wasn't a great singer at the time. I'm not even sure that I am now, but but I was able to uh, kind of use. A, almost a spoken singing approach to a lot of my early stuff that, that I did with this. Dennis and I, we call ourselves Moonshine Logic. <laughs> but at that point, we we just stayed sort of real isolated in this bubble and made these songs because we were making moonshine and doing woodworking on the side of a mountain. We didn't see anybody. But when we brought this stuff out to people and played it for them, people went crazy for it. And I was like, well, you know, what is it that's causing people to go so crazy for this music that I'm making that wasn't happening when I was up there doing some very carefully thought out and, and, and 
highly structured poetry stuff. And, and you know, it, it just kind of clicked for me that I needed to pursue music a little heavier because I really wanted to communicate, touch people, you know, and, and as many people as possible. And it just seemed like music would be better for me. That's sort of how yeah. I transitioned from being a poet, being someone who wrote poetry, to being a songwriter, someone who, who like, licenses songs to, me, to movies. And I'm about to go to New York to do a writing session with someone next week. But... There was like a moment where I realized that, you know, music is very powerful and words are very powerful. Poetry is very powerful. When you sort of transmute the two of them into a song, that that sort of power just expands into this multifold thing where people are, you know, the song takes on a life of its own. And whilst, you know, some great poems have done that, like Howl, say, like, or Allen Ginsberg, but, but, you know, much more so songs, you know, songs find a way they just speak to a, a part of a person I think that's that's uh, that's not regularly acquainted with language. Like poetry is very much a language and a sound, but music it it touches us on a physical and I say, I say spiritual. Some people are into that, but it touches <laughs> us on a, on a different level than than just regular words. Yeah. And, you know, you can yeah. sit and listen to classical music all day long too, and while it's very touching. Or instrumental music, very good instrumental jazz, while well, it's very touching, very cerebral. Uh, you know, there are certain songwriters who, through the synthesis of, of music and words, there. No, yeah, that's the best when, when you've got those things working together. But yeah, yeah, you know, like you, you can the 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 what is it? Uh, transmutation. What is the uh, the medieval guys? Uh, Alchemist. Alchemist, yeah, yeah. yeah. For me, music is kind of like some sort of alchemy. Yeah. You know, to where you take two elements and, and you put them together and suddenly it creates this brand new thing that while both of the other ones are there, it's it's like it's just incre- increase the quality so much that, that we, you can't even believe it came from those two things. So, but there's a lot of music out there, though. That does have lyrics, or I mm-hmm. think the lyrics are just kind of shoved in there. Is there, was the, I mean, it sounds sure. like you're saying there's, you, because you came from poetry first, that you maybe had some advantages in writing lyrics that... I, but, I think so, because I, I, you know, I had an understanding of, of what, what sort of happens narratively. You know, in when you start putting words together, because, yeah. You know, it's almost like we're hardwired as human beings to make stories. Absolutely, yeah. I could just spout out a list of you know words, and and your brain would kind of put them into a story, no matter what, no matter what was going on. I, your brain just naturally does that. Yeah, I could make up a story off the top of my head about something that happened in New Orleans today, <laughs> totally fictional. I could, <laughs> right? Right. It'd be pr- I could like. You know, be like, yeah, I walked down the street and there was a guy there and he was passing out dollar bills and I was like asking him what he was doing. He said he had won a lottery, but how much was it? He was like five hundred bucks. He had done two store like a couple stores down, right? When he was buying ice cream and he decided to buy a couple of lotto tickets, but he won this five hundred scratch off and then he he bought some of his friends some food, but that he's down here passing out dollar bills because it was like his friend's birthday that he had passed away and he wanted to give money away to the community or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. that didn't happen. But all, all this stuff <laughs> You know, all the stuff that goes on in in song happens in poetry uh, as as well. You know, there's a lot of metaphor, there's yeah, a lot of symbolism. You know, there's there's, a, there's a, certainly you know uh, alliteration, 
uh, assonance, consonance, all these things that, that we learn in poetry class are all the things that are, are making songs good. You know, the songs that you really like, they contain all these elements of style that come straight from the English textbook, if you will, <laughs> you know, that, you well, know, you're doing it right. Yeah. You know, they, they, yeah. They're, they're in there. They're, and, you know, these people who make this stuff up aren't just doing this arbitrarily. You know, our brains for millions of years have been programmed to seek out stories and to seek out things that sound interesting together. And, 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 and you know, it's part of our survival instinct as human beings, I think. What musicians do you... The human race has been around for millions of years? I don't want to get into all that. <laughs> I think the human race has been around for a million you, Jamie. About a million and a half. Really new. That's a lot. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's I think lot. it's probably a lot longer than we think, but that's a lot. A million and a half years. But, but I mean, that's really And important. here we are. Ancient civilizations and vanished Drinking races toxic and waters and well, you know, monolithic cultures. Every year, every, every year, year they're, they're finding uh, they're finding remains and, and that are older. But they're finding I don't know. Yeah. these little tiny people and these giant seven feet tall people, and they're finding all the stuff that you know. If you read the Vedic text, they're talking about the age of giants in the Vedic text, and how you know we're in like the sixth age. All the people are really small now. You know. Uh, you know, well, once they, they, when they find some actual giants, then I'll be had, excited. They found some actual giants. <laughs> yeah, look at it. They do keep pushing that time back, for the sure. The tallest that man ever happening. was, I think, 8 foot 11. And a point one or something. It was like 8... I think I just recently read about this guy. He was 8, 11. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking like serious giant. Yeah, okay. So 14 feet tall is not enough. Well, that would be. But I haven't seen, I haven't seen that. <laughs> if that's happened, I, I want you to send that to me. I, I want you to send that to me. <laughs> well, imagine that. Imagine a man who's eight foot race. eleven, like almost nine feet tall. That's that, I mean, that would be insane if I saw that in real life. But what I mean. the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'll tell you, there, there is a difference though in in writing uh, poetry and and writing songs, and yeah. a very big difference. You know, songs generally have to be a, a lot, a little shorter than poems. Although I've, you know, a lot of people. But not only that, I found out kind of the hard way. You know, I was I was using a lot of the same sort of uh, ideas in my songs as in my poems, and, and some of it's like this sort of transcendental relationship with nature, you know, mm -hmm. and built into nature and stuff like that. And and in poetry, I feel like you can get uh, away with a little more vagary. In other words, you can be sort of a little more vague about uh, things and let the reader bring their imagination into the poem so that they're interacting with the poem almost through you, not specifically defining it. In songs, there is no room for vagueness. The more specific, the better it seems. Uh, it, it, it just, that's what I've uh, learned, you know, dealing, taking songwriting workshops. or Yeah, or I would think that'd be, be pretty true of poetry too, though. More specifics, probably better most of the time. I guess it depends on what you're trying to do, but I, w I wish I could get you a concrete example really quick. I'm gonna have to sit here and think about it. But what about? Do you mean like in regards to imagery, or do you just mean in <clears throat> concreteness? I always or? thought like yeah. I always thought like when writing. I always thought when writing music that because I've never. Well, I can't say I haven't written. I've written one song, uh, like a really like a song that was actually recorded. You know. But I wrote this song for my friend Jeff, and uh, but uh, 
uh, you have to write a song in such a way that's kind of like really kind of broad, but at the same time, like really unique and focused into a certain like narrative path that falls into the arc of like the structure of the song. Mm -hmm. But it's like, it's like you want it to be, you want it to be like um, into a formula that people understand musically that they, that works with their heartbeat and all that down to the 440 rate of the heartbeat, right? Or whatever the, the rate, the, way that they compose the Marconi, the frequency of radio mm-hmm. to a certain megahertz or whatever. But like you make it you make it interesting and different, but in that when you like the vagaries, what you mean is like these sort of like middle places. Like you try to make it super specific but also super simple for people to be able to like understand it. Right. Like it's this weird spot. Like a really good pop song <laughs> is like esoteric and weird but also really catchy at the same time there's this idea in songwriting uh and probably in poetry too i haven't taken a poetry class i don't think ever stop it you never took you never took a workshop no, you, we were never in workshop together no, I, I was studying screenwriting you were studying, yeah, screenwriting. screenwriting okay but but uh but the in songwriting uh there's this concept called prosody prosody and and it's that that there's that no there should be no unneeded thing, you know. In yeah, in a poem, sometimes I feel like you can use uh, words, sometimes extra words, just to just to affect a certain sound or or the way the meter is falling together. But there's no room for that in songs. In songs, every single word has to point to the meaning of the song, and has to there's like an, such an economy of words. That you know, sometimes in poetry, if you're doing, especially if you're doing metered poetry, uh, you you might have to come up with an extra word in the line just to keep your meter right. I guess. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like you do want to have that kind of economy in poetry, even if. And then I think I feel like if you're doing meter, I mean, I don't know. I don't particularly like writing metered poetry, but mm-hmm. when you do, I feel like the people who are really good at that aren't inserting extra words to, to meet the meter. They, if anything, will allow the allow for that line or for that whatever place to, to kind of slip out of the meter for a second or have, you know, have a foot that's off or something to, sure. to, to preserve that economy more than they would to try to really stick to that meter, right? I, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. I've, I've seen some things where I feel like they, that they've just, you know, gotten, you know, that they could have said this line a lot more economically. They weren't worried about meter. But, yeah, maybe. But that, but those are the ones that annoy me when I read it. And I'm like, yeah, that's just kind of <laughs> shitty. <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm like a, you know... I, I guess uh, a really good way of coming, coming back to this would be to say that E.E. E. Cummings doesn't work in song. In other words... Part of what makes oh, yeah, Cummings' yeah. work is is sort of the vagary of it. One line sort of goes into the next and sort of can make a sentence either way, and you know, and 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 sort of puts you in a place where you sort of convey you're feeling him, you know, and and I, that might be what I mean about vagary, you know. Yeah. That, okay, that, I get that. Yeah. It, and and song, there's really no 
no, you can't really do that and, and get away with it. No one's going to want to sit there and listen to you string the words together. No, but isn't that part, like, part of that's, like, the sound aspect, I think. I don't think mm-hmm. I would particularly like listening to E.E. E. Cummings read a poem, either. I think it works a lot better visually. Like, if I'm reading it on a page, sure, it's sure. super interesting. But I don't know, listening to someone read that out loud... It wouldn't be much. Well, you know, I think that that's where, you know, and this is sort of how we got into this tangent, is is we're talking about the intersection of songwriting and poetry, and then, in turn, the divergence. And, you know, they intersect where where we were talking about, uh, you know, them having a lot of the same sort of literary devices that make them effective. Yeah, yeah. But in the divergence, and this is how we sort of got off on this tangent, uh, in the divergence... uh, you can get away with a lot of things in poetry that you can't necessarily get away with in song. And whether or not it's yeah. vagary, but it's just a different way of using imagery, I think, or, or using, not just imagery, but using using all of these, uh, you know, constructs that give us understanding. Like, you, there's not a lot of Dada songs out there. There's not a lot of Dada poems. Well, there's some. There's some Dada songs. Yeah. <laughs> What is uh? You got into like Japanese noise music, like the boredom. What is like Frank Zappa or something? If it's not Dada, yeah, Zappa's pretty Dada, man. I don't know, man. (laughs) Frank Zappa was a twisted individual, but but his stuff still has like really pretty steady, you know, narrative rock structure. But it's I don't know. You think it's Dada narrative? But are you talking Dada as far as like Alfonso's (laughs) pancake breakfast? There's a lot of narrative. Uh, there's a lot of narrative work by Zappa. Zappa has a lot of narrative poems. I mean, you know, narrative I, songs. Yeah, but there's a lot of narrative songs. Know, I mean, even I would say yeah. maybe. Uh, I mean, come on, that's more what, than Zappa. Oh yeah, yeah dude, it can be fire for sure. Yeah, yeah. Would would be more of a Dada songwriter. Some of his stuff, you know, you know, the like replica Daniel Johnson or something. Daniel Johnson, yeah. Yeah, I love <laughs> Daniel Johnson, really. My buddy, when I was watching my buddy's house a couple blocks down, remember, he had that whole setup with the record player. I, like, looked through all his records and, like, pulled out all his Daniel Johnson records and played all that stuff. That stuff is great. But he might be, he might be too religious to be dead. That is the only thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is Dada anti-religion or a religion unto itself? Uh, I think it's anti-any establishment that you yeah, have. Uh, Dada is so anti-religious that it's actually anti-Dada. <laughs> Dada in itself is anti-Dada. Like, that's the thing about Dada. It's just like really a, sort of like a, like a punch in the mouth, you know, when you're, just, when you're trying to get communion. So, and I mean, maybe there's different different ways of doing this, but another thing I wanted to ask you about with songwriting is the difference with, like, sound in writing, in writing poetry and writing songs. Because it seems to me, like, when you're writing lyrics to a song, you kind of have to follow where the music is to let the sound lead you. Yeah, I mean, you do or you don't. I mean, there's all different sort of melodic sense, you know, I mean... It all depends. Yeah, you have to follow it, sure. But you know, 
the, the path you take is up to you. I mean, yeah, there's I different guess, ways to do it. I guess, that, I guess, I guess but, you yeah. can just like listen to Joni Mitchell singing Neil Young song, and then listen to Neil Young singing, and you figure out, you know, that there's wow, vastly different phrasing ways. is important. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, there's vastly <laughs> different, different, different ways to you know express the stuff in music. Um, but I guess. I don't know uh, how it would translate in a poetry class, but I was in a lyrics workshop and, and we were, they, they were workshopping this guy's songs. You know, you know, the first line and the second rhyme, line, you know, you have one word in the first line and the second line, and they're supposed to rhyme and they kind of rhyme. They said, but but you'll, you always need a hard rhyme in the first line, like, as like a rule of song, songwriting. I don't like think I you, agree with that. I don't agree with that. be a hard rhyme. And, and, you know, that's a lot of people said, I don't agree with that. And, they, and they said, she said, well, you know, this is what people have found for songs that are hits. You can write a song. Well, that might be want. true. That might be you true, know, I suppose. You can yeah. write a song yeah. any way you want. But the most successful songs that touch the most people, if they rhyme, they have a hard rhyme in the first line. It's easy. To I don't know. I think that's some fucking bullshit. I'm just like... <laughs> Like going through songs, I'm going through songs in my head, and I'm thinking of hit songs, and they don't have hard rhymes on the first one. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Where's the hard rhyme? Bad and sad. Because that's not the first line. That's three lines later. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. We'll take a sad song. That's also an internal rhyme. That's in the middle of a line. It's a tricky little thing there. That that well. Because there is a rhyme. It is a hard rhyme, but it's on the... Se- it's like it's I don't think that's in the first two lines, though. No, it's in the, the second and third line, not the first and second line. I guess... But then that's weird. Where are you counting the line? Hey, Jude. If you're gonna... If it's gonna <laughs> rhyme... <laughs> it's a letter. Hey, Jude. That's how... Like, that's... Don't make it bad. Take, Take a, a sad song and make, make it better. But that's, I mean, that's, but it's also, it's also an internal <laughs> rhyme. It is an internal rhyme. No, it is. Not it's just not an end rhyme. It is an right. internal rhyme. Yeah. I don't know. You're gonna rhyme I think we can come up with in lots the first of two lines of the song. Make it a hard rhyme. That was, huh. that was that was that was what I was told. I can't remember what. I don't remember what song. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like we could probably Maybe it was come up with... Maybe it was uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. What you got, you got to give it to your mama. <laughs> what you got to give it to your papa. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard ride. <laughs> that's a really easy ride. <laughs> that's the first two lines of the song. <laughs> I, just, I just saw that song. <laughs> that you know the difference between a hard rhyme and a soft rhyme? Uh, a hard rhyme, yeah. Yeah, hard rhyme uses the word motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, that's hard. <laughs> wow. So you know, that, as far as the con- convergence, uh, you know, of, of poetry and uh, <laughs> song, song, yeah, it, people haven't always thought of it like, that. yeah, you yeah. Know, that's why that's why Dylan made such a such a big impact. You know, sort of on music is that is that he really was taking a lot of stuff, uh, you know, imagery and, and ways of expressing from a lot of these old poets. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a lot of old European poets. He was reading them and, and taking sort of their ideas, how and funneling old? it. And how European? Uh, Italian. 
<laughs> yeah. Like, Which century? Like 15th, 16th century. 15th century, 16th century Italian? Yeah. Rock me on my deals. Yeah, he's rocking Rock Amadeus. Like Falco? Amadeus is a musician. What's that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just but, but, you know, like whatever. He was using a lot of imagery that was that was way out there. I, you know that. And, yeah. And no, absolutely. But he was also dra- drawing on well, which kind of fits in on that kind of troubadoury tradition, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a whole nother. I mean, poetry is expanded beyond that, right? But that's kind of like the tradition of poetry is kind of rooted in music, anyway. Sort of, yeah. I, I guess if you if you start going back, it's it's rooted in music and and in, in drama and and you know, other things too. Yeah, you're right. Drama is another area, but there's definitely a strong historical connection between poetry and music. Well, certainly uh, the bard is is a trope that that is still alive today and will likely be alive forever. You know, and that, I think that's why it's it's really uh, easy, not necessarily easy, but it's really attractive for people who are doing poetry to get involved with Make music. Stop playing off your phone He's while we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but to get involved with music. I, mean, I answered my message and it came up and it, played, it started playing uh, this uh, YouTube video. <laughs> and technology. It's a good song. It, how old are you, man? What's that? <laughs> It was great, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your phone away Edit it podcast. out. Just edit it out, man. I mean, it's just going to depend. Sometimes I edit out. Sometimes uh, it's funnier if I leave it in and make you look bad. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I still do write some poetry, That's that, but I don't necessarily do a lot of poetry reading to. Yeah, because I do yeah. most of my performance on stage with with, with bands. Fuck, man! Come <laughs> on, dude! I didn't. I didn't have podcast host ever. <laughs> uh, so, it okay? So I guess this is a good question. So, like, when you when you approach your song, mm-hmm. writing a song as opposed to writing a poem. Do you start with the music first, or do you start with the wor- the idea or the words first? You know, it really depends on on the individual song. You know, some songs are just like born, like a eureka moment. Like mm-hmm. suddenly, it just comes all together. Comes all as together, a, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and and that's one thing about you know, song is is you know, you know, music is done in time. So, song is almost always like a metered type sort of thing as well. Uh, except for you can use vowels to stretch things out with melody and phrasing. Um, but sometimes they just will come as like a whole little stanza of poetry. And then that will sort of be built around an idea that would be the chorus or the hook. And then the narrative of the initial stanza will sort of drive the rest of the song. Other songs are more, uh, you know, built around, uh, like a feeling like, yeah, oh, I want to, I want to write something that makes people feel really good. So, a feeling. So, yeah, so you, so you come up with, like, a progression or a melody, uh, you know, a, a, a way of stringing the sounds together that you think would make people feel good, and then you sort of start playing around with, uh, with what uh, you can put in there. Like, I just wrote a song recently, and I would start, it started off, and the guy sort of worked out the progression, and I was like, it has something like... Ooh, ba 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 da ooh, and then, so we played it over and over, and we're just thinking ooh, and then 
trying to think about a little bit about the uh, what the babada bada bada is going to say, right? Then the person I was writing with, he said, no, it's not ooh, ooh it's choose. Uh, ooh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So then suddenly I knew exactly what the babada bada bada was going to be. It was like, choose. Are we friends? Are we lovers? You pick one or the other. You'll move. Just choose. All of a sudden, the whole thing was there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then from that, from that whole choose, then it, you know, it automatically the narrative started. Okay, there are two people in the bar. It's the end of the night. Choose. Are you going home together? And the story or not? just kind of you know, comes out of that phrase out. Okay. that you come up with. Well, yeah, let's yeah, say yeah. in the choose that she did end up going, saying, "Okay, yeah, I'll go home with him." So then, what's the next choice? Okay, it's the next morning. So you set the scene: breakfast in bed, two cups of coffee, check your phone. You know. You know, you, you set the scene, and then you come wow. to the next choice. <laughs> well, look, here's my number. Give me a call. So I then mean, you go back to the chorus. Choose. Yeah, yeah. Remember, I, I mean, you know. That's one way to wake up in that situation. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's all kinds of ways. You know? There's all kinds of ways. Make us, you've lost track of what the conversation is about. <laughs> you know, the, the narrative is not looking good. We're talking about the way a song gets made. Oh yeah, I mean, but that's I just had so many jokes yeah. that I could fill in there, <laughs> and they all had lines that started with two lines that had rhyming line. Hard okay, okay, of them. I would love to. I actually want to hear two because you said you had so many. Joke, couple it up. All right, come on, let's hear one. Let's hear one. I want to hear one. Come on, man. One of them. One of them was like. One of them was like. One of them was like. Deck. The guy at the bar, he's a real motherfucker. He's <laughs> that's hard rhyme. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he he's got his hand on a pull stick and a mini trucker. Oh, and, and, a, and a mesh back trucker. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's one. That's one. <laughs> Where's number two? <laughs> and it was a hard rhyme. It yeah. was a, by both <laughs> definitions. By both definitions. <laughs> That was two. How was that? No, that was two lines. That was one couplet. Um, so so that's then that's the way a song can be made. And then sometimes you're just sitting with your instrument. And uh, well, th- th- this is my favorite way to write songs. It's just to sort of sit and play and play and play. And then I'll just start mumbling like, and then I'll do that for like a couple of times through the yeah, progression. Yeah. And then suddenly, like on the third or fourth time, my brain will just like. like Come out with like a little angel, like a little angel, a little angel, a little angel, exactly. Yeah, that's normally whenever I write with Jeff, that's normally what I do. He'll just he doesn't have words, he'll just sit there. I'm just curious, like, mumble. he'll sit there and mumble, and I'll be like, okay, I think that part's this. How did you write Let's Go to the Zoo? <laughs> that's part, that's how I wrote that, yeah, oh, no way. Like, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, I'll just sit there and let him, I'll just be like, just, you know, mumble, hum, the melody yeah. until it sounds like something to me. Yeah, yeah. I sort of mumble you know, through until I found, like, a, a melodic thing that I like in mumbling, and then that sort of, like, suggests the words. And then it, it, the best is if, if I'm co-writing with someone and they, they have a, a progression that they're working with. I say, well, how does that make you feel? What were you thinking about when you when you played that. And if mm-hmm. they can just give me that the one little cue, you know, then I usually can come up with a lyric sheet out of that. But that's an important part, right? Is, which, I mean, it just is impossible for that to happen in poetry, but there is a certain constraint there because 
there has to be a feeling that's similar in the lyrics to the feeling that's in the music, which is very vague. I mean, the feeling that's in the music is kind of a vague thing, but you certainly can kind of gauge that and feel what it is to some extent. Sort of subjective to a certain extent, but you know. Some things are going to be clearly inappropriate where you're like, yeah, that does not fit with what this song sounds like at all. Sure, sure. (laughs) Sure, I mean, you know, genre, music has become so genre-fied. And, you know, I don't think that the same thing has really happened so much in in poetry. Is is there a real genre specific? Yes. I mean, there are. I think that is what's happened in poetry. Yeah? Well, yeah, because I think that I think that what's happened is people are falling in line in, like, schools, you know? So it's like these schools of poetic thought. Okay. And you're seeing a lot of poetry right now that, in my opinion, is not poetry. It's, All right. it's fiction masquerading as poetry. Yeah, but that's like... Yeah, no, or it's I, a narrative right, where it's but... like really like, I'm going to read a poem to you right now, but it's really like a short story I wrote. But that's like... That's kind of like picking off the people who are just not really writing poetry in a way. Well, like, you could do the same thing with music. You could be like, all right, I'm going to pick off... Because there's certainly people who are musicians who it's like, oh, I'm just going to write something that sounds passably like it's bluegrass. Or I'm just going to write something that sounds... <laughs> well, you know this. You know, true. or that there's sounds a lot, passably like... a lot of like, that going on right now. It, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not real creative it's more imitative you know yeah but i don't even consider that really trying to do music and i I would say the same thing with the poetry that's doing what you're saying joseph is like i would say that that's just kind of like they're they're trying to sell something that they know there's a market for right like they're saying like well there's people who like this kind of poetry i'm not going to try to write a good one necessarily i'm just going to write something that sounds like the stuff they already like and there's going to be a certain set of people who like that thing Hey, look, I know. Let me tell you about a thing I did. Last year, I got hired by a certain liquor company. Am I going to tell you who it is? And I went and I and I uh, I went to a, a men's uh, barbershop and uh, I uh, typed poetry, like typewriter poetry, like those kids do on Royal Street every day. Mm-hmm. But I did it for like a bunch of like liquor executives. Cool. Okay. Cool. Dressed to the nines with a bow tie and suspenders and my chapeau and, like, you know, with my sweet-ass typewriter. And with really nice paper with an embossing stamp and gold seals that I put on the envelopes. I mean, it, it was good. It, it Did they on. give you your free case of beer when you What's were What's that? My free case of beer? <laughs> it wasn't beer. It was not a beer company. It was a hard <laughs> alcohol company. Yeah. At the end, man, they really cleaned, they really cleaned <laughs> me up and sent me on the way with a couple bottles of liquor and locked the door behind me like... See you at the after party. <laughs> um, so here's so, enough crab vignettes. So what, did, you, did you feel here's, like you put out some good poetry? Yes, because here's why. Because I gauged the type of people that I was with, and I was with really intelligent middle management American liquor people. And I thought about who these people were, and what I would do is I would talk. I would say, "Tell me a little bit about yourself. Why are you here? Where are you living? Where are you from? What's your hobbies? What do you like to do?" Tell me a little bit about who you are as an individual. Like, well, how do you know? I'd be, oh, I was just, how do you know? Hey, how do you, I'd be like, how do you know? Especially girls. I would give them a little wink. I'd be like, how do you know? And then they would be like, well, I because I, I, and then they would tell I me. I thought this. you were trying to keep the company a secret. Oh, sorry. Can we edit that out? 
You can do whatever you want. I, I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't yeah, don't stop the recording. <laughs> okay, can you? Yeah, I can edit that out. Can How do you know? Beep it. Beep it. Beep. How do you know? Beep it. That'd be good. Can you do that? Yeah, I can do that. Okay. I would say, how do you know? Uh-huh. And then they would be like, oh, I know, I know, because this and that, you know, they would tell me a little secret, like it was a little secret they were telling me. <laughs> so I would write it, and I would just, like, encapsulate, like, all their sort of idea and how they are here, and then I would relate it to New Orleans, something New Orleans, you know, I'd say, mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, uh, the people you meet down on Frenchman Street or something, I would throw oh, some, yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. I, I didn't do anything that boring, okay, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not Ben Alshire, but you can beat that out, too. <laughs> I'm not going to bleep that out. <laughs> Did you take a workshop from Cubs the Poet? <laughs> this sounds a lot like his approach. <laughs> no, man, Cubs the Poet. Okay, but what is so? What is got his archives over here? How does that relate to what we were saying? What you were saying about genre or whatever? Uh well, I thought that right now what's going on is that there's these really like hard lines that a lot of poets are taking. Like, I'm not seeing a lot of musicality in poetry. Uh-huh. I may see musicality in performance. I'm seeing musicality in music, and but I'm not really seeing that much musicality going on in poetry. Well, I agree that's a problem. And I think that that's a, a problem poets, yeah. for a lot but, of poets. Well, for a lot of poets, don't yeah. want to write in meter or rhyme, and that's where musicality comes from. For wow, those. man, you know, look, I'm in my archive all day listening to Wu Tang Clan and Raekwon and Jizza and RZA, and I'm listening to hip hop. Sure, I listen. Sure. That's what I do when I work in my studio. I'm listening <laughs> to like hip hop, New Orleans, or like New Orleans, some New Orleans music, but hip-hop music and brass band music and pick-me-up music, you know? And I'm there, and I'm listening to these these wordsmiths, you know? And that's, like, kind of, like, my what I love to listen to as a worker, as a, as a person, you know? Sure, get but rolling. Get, yeah, get rolling. And then we're, like, in the pocket. Yeah, but you don't, even, yeah, you don't even have a set meter to have a meter, though. But yeah, musicality and music, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm taking it to the furthest extent of what I think a musicality and language can be as it approaches music but works with music, because... Sure. You could take the, all the music away from Wu Tang, and their lyrics would stand on their own. Absolutely, with precision. So, like, if you think about that as poetry, well, if you strip I it away, know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I think, I think they do have great lyrics, but I think even a lot of the lyricists that I love the most, I love Leonard Cohen's lyrics. But you know, you get this thing happening all the time where they publish some of his songs in English textbooks and stuff. And it's bullshit. What he did was genius, but it doesn't work to just print that on the page. It's not the same thing. I think there is a difference there. And I don't think he would have written it that way. I agree. If there wasn't the music there. Like, it's, I a, agree. it's a different thing, right? But I know what you're saying, that there should still be a musicality there, even if you're not writing with music. And that's what's missing sometimes. So, so but, I'm, yeah. I'm backtrack a little bit. Uh, we were talking about genre. And, and <laughs> yeah, we kind of lost that. That's thread. okay. That's okay. It's, it's great. <laughs> there's we a lot to add out there. So, there's, there's a lot to uh, to go on here. The the genre thing that's that's gone on with music is that you, you start playing music, and then someone says, "Okay, what type of music?" And you know, let's say that you say something as broad as I play country. Music. Well, you know, there's like. Five different subgenres. You know, there's pop country, there's outlaw country, there's trucker country, there's classic country. There's, you know, yeah. There's like Hist- historicity aside. If you open that up, you get a lot more than five. I think. Sure. But yeah, yeah. 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 You know. You know. 
so 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 you get twang. You, all of a sudden, twang. you know, people want to get more and more specific twang. about the type of music that you're playing. And and for me, as an artist, I felt like that was kind of limiting. I mean, I I like the term Americana because it, it draws a real sort of broad blanket on sort of any sort of blues country, yeah, rock, yeah, uh, you know, rockabilly, hillbilly, bluegrass. You know, it it just sort of draws this blanket. So so, but at the same time, then people are uncertain about what type of music they're going to get if they. Well, but that was going to be my question. Don't you think that's really just about marketing anyway? Uh huh. Because I mean, yeah, you're right. I think some people want to be able to say, "Oh, I'm doing this specific kind of music," because then it's easy to sell that. Sure. But on the other hand, you think of some people where their whole persona is based around, I'm part of this and part, I'm part right. of this genre and part of that genre. I'm this mashup of these two different genres. Right, and that's how they describe themselves, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm surf punk, uh, you know, rockabilly <laughs> music. You know, they, but, and it, I was just curious, you guys in the poetry scene, it, is is that sort of a genre thing taking place? And you said that there are certain to some extent, yeah, that's, that are going on. Uh, but is there people who are, like, who are coming out and saying, you know, I you know, I only write poetry, you know, like uh, Ezra Pound, you know, uh, you know, or no man. But you do find this a similar is the thing. Age of, yeah. Uh, what? But you do find a similar thing, right? Like if you look at any blurb. Inevitably, they'll be like, this is the, I mean, you said Ezra Pound, so now I'm thinking that you'd be like, this is the seriousness of Ezra Pound mixed with the humor and language facility of Kenneth Koch or something. Like, that's like almost a formula on blurbs, right? It is kind of the same thing, right? Where it's like, okay, you know? You can fit into this school or we're going to try to come up with some combination to make it. But again, I think that's, sometimes that's just about marketing, right? Like making that, I think for good poets and good musicians, that's mostly about marketing of like, how do I sell this to people? How do I make this easy for somebody to understand where they don't have to, yeah, how do they don't have, so they don't have to figure out for themselves what they think this is. How do I tell them ahead of time what this is, where they're going to be able to understand it? But then the side effect is you get that thing where other poorer musicians and poorer poets try to play to that thing. And they're like, I'm not going to wait for someone to to take what I already did and figure out what category goes in. I'm going to just play to that category and try to go straight down the line. And that's when you get bad music and bad poetry a lot of times. This is new man poetry. It's a a cartoon version of... Homer Simpson, but like Allen Ginsberg, this is with the balls of Dante and the in the and Robert the Bly. You got to put Robert Bly in there if you're doing <laughs> all the blurb 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 blurb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Robert Bly is swinging from the contraption, which is like dripping from the you know scrotum of furrows, you know, uh, like nasal mugwomp <laughs> juice, you know, like uh, yeah. But yeah, I think that. But but, but isn't that isn't that a lot of what it's about? Like, I think good musicians or good poets maybe are resistant to that to some extent. You still got to do it sometimes because you do want people to listen to or read what you're doing. But hopefully, that's kind of the packaging put on it afterwards, and not something that you started out with. I hope, right? Yeah, you know, the, the <laughs> idea is to create from a place where where you're not feeling any limitations yeah you know certainly you're always 
you know, limited by, you know, just your exposure. You know, I'm not going to write Swahili folk music because <laughs> I'm not, you know, living in Africa with a bunch of people speaking. Okay, Swahili let's talk about that. Tales. Let's talk about that. Talk about Swahili folk No, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. What are we what are we to do? Like right now, here we are. It's it's our it's our three hundredth year of New Orleans. We're poets, okay? You grew up here, you've been here twenty some years, I've been here only ten whatever, it doesn't matter where I've been here ten years. We've been here doing. Like here we are. What do we do? Like you're a musician, a poet, a poet maker. There's people in the world who are trying to do things like, you know, like what's the best new step that a young that a person can make? Like, you right mean now, like, creatively? What yeah, creatively. I'm saying it, like, like what's like what's like? Should we all be like what? What is? Is there like a, some sort of unified goal? Is there some sort of like thing that we can be working <laughs> toward? Is there like some sort of thing we can be working toward, like as like a community? Or is there something we're missing right now in our poetry community? Is there something that we're not giving or not like we don't have here that we need to? Make it happen. Well, I don't know. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how to how far how deep into this thing we want to get because it, there's so much. You know, I mean, part of what's really missing is is that our education system isn't putting well, a value yeah. on poetry or poets. You know, I, you know, among other things. But yes, you know, uh, <laughs> no, no one, no one, you know, is going to believe that a poet should be making, you know. As much as a doctor, right? Except for me, <laughs> I believe that because sure. I think that their work is equally as valuable. Because you know, a doctor could heal someone's body, but a poet could heal someone's soul. And you know, there, there's the two things are equally as valuable. Well, but it's tricky, right? Because I agree with you. On the other hand, part of the reason poetry is what it is is because money's not that attached to it. Sure. Right. Sure. Um, the more but money is, is attached, I guess that's one of the things I've been trying yeah. to talk about. Well, with genre yeah, and yeah. One of the things that that struck me about uh, your the title of your podcast, you know, it seems like that that and not just art. It seems that all all manners of expression are sort of in a little bit of flux right now. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. post 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 modern, but no one's figured out what we actually are right now. Well, but I think that's because what we are in the victim era is that what we are? Yeah, the, everybody needs to write poetry about how bad the world has fucked them over and they were abused. Well, as a but child. I think what we yeah 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 yeah, yeah but homeless, you know. can't afford a pack of cigarettes. Is this like the type of things that we're valuing as art now? I mean, know? well, I, don't, I mean, I, I mean, that's uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think my opinion is the mainstream opinion. Certainly not, but. But for me, what I would say is what we are and what we've always been is able to encompass multiple things and let those be contradictory and exist together. And if we're doing that, then you're doing it well. But that's the problem with that stuff. And like you were talking about, like when, you know, as much as, as much as there was a lot of great things that came out of the performance poetry movement, that was always the thing that really rubbed me the wrong way about it was it was very counter to that. It was about, I'm going to reduce my experience to a point mm -hmm. that I can get across to everybody, which to me is the opposite of poetry. It's the opposite of music, too, as far as I'm concerned. It's like, that's the great thing about music, kind of like you were talking about, is it's things converging together. It's yeah, yeah. not trying to reduce something to 
a straight line. <laughs> and a straight line meaning three minutes and 15 seconds. And then every second you go over, you're deducted this many points. I mean, sure. it's a point thing, right? I mean, this is what it is. It's like, it's a rubric. You come in and you're like, okay, you're going to read a poem and your poem has to be three minutes. And you have a 15 second grace period and that's it. Or whatever you are, whatever it is. Well, I'm not trying to talk to about about performance, but I'm saying it comes down to, but a lot of those things, like what you were saying, I mean, that's great if you're bringing your personal experience to those things, whatever that is. And you might feel wronged about things in society and that's real. And that's a real thing. But is that poetry or art? It can be, but to me, the difference of when it's poetry and when it's not is, are you just trying to reduce it something to something that makes sense in the culture? Are you just trying to say, I'm going to make this fit into the cultural line of what this is saying? Or am I looking at it in a complex way and letting it be a complicated experience and communicating that experience to my audience? And that's what, that's poetry if you're doing that. Sure. But if you're trying to reduce it to something digestible and easy to understand where it's like, well, and the way that you're probably reducing it is saying, well, this is what society seems to think about this thing that my personal experience is, then you're really kind of just diminishing your personal experience rather than... I don't know. I think poetry is expansive, right? Like, that's kind of the idea of poetry. It's expansive. It's saying, I believe my experience is complicated, but I also think because of that, every other human being, there's some part of that experience that they can relate to if they really think about it. Because in some way, they've had that same experience as me. Even the people that I kind of don't get along with or don't like so much, you know? So so to what extent, then... Do these ideas become mainstream, like you're saying? And then, to what extent is that? I guess what I'm trying to—the point I'm trying to get to—is: Are poets and artists naturally anti-establishment or anti-society or anti-mainstream? Because it seems like a lot of the great music, yeah, and, yeah. and poetry that that we value. It's stuff that was created in opposition to sort of the mainstream, as opposed to being the voice of the mainstream. I almost felt like yeah, yeah. I yeah, almost felt yeah. like I was reading poetry uh, in in little clubs and in little bars for about five years, or four or five years before the poetry movement, the slam poetry <laughs> movement. Started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for me, the slam poetry and the performance poetry music was almost movement was almost like a mainstreaming. Yeah, of no, some, I think of, you're right. Of, I think you're of, right. Of, of yeah. A, of a poetry movement that, that was, was already that was, happening. That was already happening, yeah. but that was a little bit more anti-establishment. And, and and though the the poets who were expressing themselves in the spoken word movement, you know, a lot of them were saying you know things that were anti-establishment, but they were doing it then on a platform that had become. I mean, it was happening on MTV for crying out loud. You know, I mean, it was it was you know pretty mainstream at that point. Uh, so so. It, in, in to what extent is is art devalued as art when it goes mainstream? Any at all? Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, well, I mean, I have some thoughts on that. Megos, what do you think? You know, add to this conversation. What, what's the? Give me the. Give me the. Give me the straight question. What's the? What's to the, what extent is art devalued by becoming mainstream? In other words, when suddenly, uh, you know, you have a very neat shop here. I'm looking around. You have all these antique printing presses. Okay. 
and 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 it's getting kind of hip to have one of these presses now like a lot more <laughs> hip than when you first had one uh 10 years ago or, or 15 you years could ago. probably rent this out as an airbnb for so much money <laughs> sure 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 <laughs> i mean that's a joke but it's probably true too. are you being serious airbnb in the back of my shop for 250 bucks i'll make you tea and eggs in the morning you're gonna have my the printing experience you're gonna have the printer's experience you're gonna print your name in you're gonna print your name on a piece of paper we'll ink it up with all different colors and but just to what, ex- front 10, to what extent does mainstreaming something devalue it uh, as, as well, a let's fa- think as about an it. Art let's form. think about it. Let's think about it from a couple of different perspectives. You know, let's say that you take a painting that I believe that all three of us probably appreciate and admire, the Garden of Earthly Delights. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And let's look at the Garden of Earthly Delights. And we see this beautiful piece. But then let's do something. Let's take the center column. Let's not even worry about the two sides. Right. And let's go into this and let's cut out the shape of a fucking umbrella in fabric and let's put it on an umbrella and you can buy an umbrella at the, where is it? At the Ren Sophia? Where is the Garden of Early Delights? Uh, the, it's, it's at the Prado. The Prado? Except for it's not there now. Okay, it's not there now, but where it was when we saw it. Yeah, the Prado. The Prado. And you put it on an umbrella but you can yeah. buy it in the gift shop for $100, okay. and you can walk out of there with the Garden of Earthly Delights on your umbrella. Okay. Okay, that's that's the surrealist moment that you can purchase, right? Sure. It, it doesn't change it to put it on a $100 umbrella so that you can walk out the door with it. What do you think? I does don't it, know. Does it devalue it? Does it make it more public and accessible? I don't think it devalues the painting itself, but... I mean, initially that painting was sort of created almost like a tabloid. Yeah. Yeah. So they'd go around and, you know, they'd bring it and people would line up and pay a couple of shillings or whatever they were for them to open it up and they could look at it and it's like, oh my God. I think you picked a particularly complicated example there. It's almost like like back to from whence it came. It started as almost kind of like a pop art piece and then it ended up on an umbrella. You know, it's like, you know, Andy Warhol... You know the fact that his they make an umbrella out of his Marilyn Monroe's silkscreen Marilyn right. Monroe's does that make it any less valid art? I don't know the answer to that. That's kind of why I brought up this well, whole question. Well, it's kind of. Long. I mean, I mean that's a really interesting, interesting situation too, right? Because he like proved himself right, right. in a yeah. better to a further extent than he ever could imagine. He was more right than he ever imagined. He was like, look at this consumerist nonsense. And it was like, yeah, you haven't seen anything yet. You're not going to live long enough to see where this is really going. That's not going to be good. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. I didn't mean to pick a complicated... No, but... but, No, no, it's great. But that's an important... It's a complicated idea here. But it is complicated, but it's like, yeah. Come back to the similar question. What's the question again? Okay. Does mainstreaming poetry, like, say, through the spoken word movement or or some other movement, does mainstreaming poetry or art or a particular art form or a particular artist somehow lose its aesthetic... Uh, watered down, if you will, its aesthetic value. You know, we're, it's something that we're dealing with every day right here in New Orleans. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah, because of course. More and more people who are moving here for all the right reasons and fucking it up, fucking up the city, the very things that they moved here 
because they loved. Yeah. You know, and it's, so it's a, it's a real strange dichotomy. The city needs people, young people who are motivated to make it a beautiful city. Okay. Yeah. And those people are coming here and doing it. But the people who are here already are not happy with that. Yeah. Because they're saying, wait a minute, you guys are not fucking doing it right. Well, but yeah, but I think, but it's I, like the yeah. mainstreaming. So what I'm getting at is yeah. this would be considered the mainstreaming of New Orleans right now. We and live kind in. of like us. No, we that's were a all good. Poets yeah, that's we were, a good we example. Yeah. Expressing ourselves poetically and 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 uh, slam poetry came along and sort of like in one way legitimized what we were doing, but in another way, it it, it made us not necessarily want to do what we were doing before. You stopped reading regular poems and started standing on barrels and and and, and reciting <laughs> the typewriter books Be- and i think it's because of what happened to like quote unquote poetry at well, that no, time yeah, like absolutely. a dreaming idea of it but so, let's yeah so, but let's take well, your, just, yeah, let's, no, let's take your new orleans example okay i think you know it's not the fact that it's mainstreamed it's how it's mainstreamed Sure. Right? Like... But is there a tasteful way to mainstream something? It's not about being tasteful. In fact, I think being untasteful is probably sometimes better <laughs> when you're mainstreaming something. It's it's about tapping into the essence of what it is. And part of that is respectfulness. Sometimes it's about being like, okay, I don't get this yet, so I'm going to stay in the background. Sometimes it's about like... you're. I mean, you were kind of joking about that, but it's like... That's what Dada and Surrealism are about. Sometimes by being the opposite of what the traditional thing is, is how you re-inject its essence back into it again. Well, you can take a mainstream thing like a newspaper, and you can cut it up and you can recompose it into a thing that's like, oh, this is familiar, but it's, like, regurgitated, you know? Sure, sure. Repackaged. Yeah. So I don't think it's about it being mainstream necessarily. Like, I could imagine a culture where the way we mainstreamed things... You ever read the the Burroughs thing? Well, we could inject newness into it while we're doing it and keep reinventing it over and over again. But the problem is, and a lot of that has to do with capitalism, right? The problem is the way that we popularize things is the opposite of that. We, we drain the life out of it as right. we popularize it, which is not necessarily the case. We could popularize things in a way where we added life back into it, not taking and it out. This you is know? kind of what I was saying before when you, when you asked the question, what do we have to do? What are we missing? And I, and, and I, I mentioned we, valuing poetry, but not just poetry, valuing intellectualism, valuing ideas. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. You know, valuing art and valuing artists, valuing teachers. You know, these if you start putting value on these types of, of uh, mindsets as opposed to valuing only people who know how to make money or only people who know how to, you know, uh, deal with the legal system or only people who know how to heal your body, uh, those are the people who, who have value in our current society. You know, yeah. Those are the people when you, you, you ask a kid, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? You want to hear, I want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a businessman. I, I mean, I don't, but this is sort of the mainstream idea of... of, of yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so... so. But, no, okay, I think you're saying it. Start, yeah. start to value, you know, people who are not necessarily doing uh, those specific things. You know, people who are, who are doing things in the humanities. People who are doing things in... in 
theater. I mean, I agree. I mean, I think that's definitely part of it. I wish we would value those things. But another part of it is, like, you're talking about a kid who wants to be the doctor. Well, you know, you can be a good doctor or you can be a shitty doctor. And that's part of it, too, is it's like being, doing something is not enough. You need to do it in an innovative way where you're reinventing what that is while you're still knowledgeable and respectful of the tradition you're coming out of, right? Like, you could be a doctor who doesn't read any research, who just continues doing the same things he learned in mechanically he learned in medical school. There are plenty of those doctors around, you know, are still doing things they learned in the 70s in medical school yeah. and haven't taken a class. That's not a very good doctor. That's different from a doctor who's like, I am going to read everything I possibly can and I'm going to really think about Oh, how can we really revamp how we're dealing with people's health? That's a totally different kind of doctor. And that's part of what is not valued in our capitalist system. In fact, I think you probably are going to make more money if you're the safe doctor and you just never do anything risky. You never, none of your patients really ever die, but you don't really particularly, (laughs) well, they're going to die. I mean, we all die, but (laughs) none of them die from your care. But you don't really, uh, you don't really push anything forward, right? Sure. Uh, which, but I mean, I think, I think that is part of it. I think valuing those things you're talking about, valuing po- poetry, valuing music, valuing the arts, even if that's not your field, creates a situation where you can think about things differently. Maybe, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I know that me personally, you know, I respect people. Who, who do different things in this world that I that I don't do? Yeah, doctors, lawyers, trash collectors, auto mechanics. You know, these are people who are who are specialized at, at what they do, and, and I value that. And there are genius mechanics in the world. There are mechanics sure. where you're amazed. You're like, how you can just look at this and understand yes. how this works? But that's not every mechanic, right? And that's yeah, 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 yeah. I just feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of undervalued poets in the world. Yeah. You know? And and I think that adding maybe maybe one of the things that attracted me to to to, to doing song is because it, it seems that there's a little bit more value put on song than, than Yeah, 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 yeah. There is. No, I've thought a lot about it. I mean, I haven't licensed any poems to movies. But I wonder why that, I love but, to. but I wonder why that is though because hmm. I, I think about it and I think of of you know, I mean, music to me has always been an, a super important part of my life, and and it really is. But then sometimes, you know, you talk to people where it's not, and they still listen to music. They uh-huh. just don't pay attention to it when they're listening to it. I mean, and that's music a doesn't different really thing. even exist. It's just it's just <laughs> waves in the air. You know, it, it like, it like poetry, at least you, a poem, like you can see it. It's on a piece of paper, you know, it's right there. Music, it, you know, pretty much... It, it really only exists as an invisible form of, of, of waves affecting the air. That it can be written. Ear. Music can be. Written. It can be written, but that's that sheet music is not music. Here, I listen mean, to this. I mean, you can't you can't hear a piece of. I could write notes on this paper. You're not hearing any music. In reality, the the attention paid to music and to poetry. Uh huh. Both probably relate to how much it might help you sleep with somebody. And it's just that music might help you sleep with someone a little more than poetry does. Oh, you think so? Yeah. <laughs> Do poets get uh, 
lay more or less than guitar players? That would be the question, I guess. That would be a way of quantifying. Uh. <laughs> I, I, would, I would think less. <laughs> I probably agree with you. <laughs> uh, do poets get laid more or less than You got to put in all kinds of factors. How good of a poet, how good of a guitar player. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, but we you have to do. We have it'd be a really complex math formula where we would have to figure out. We would have to query Google, and we would have to ask, "Can you give us an estimate in humanity based upon the earliest figures of what a guitar is, the first guitar to the modern guitar? How many guitars?" So you're just saying surely that poetry's been around longer. How many Lucies? You got to take length of time into account in this. How many, many, how many Lucies have there ever been in the white pages? And the, and the yellow pages, and then how many uh, luthiers have been there? White pages, and then how many poets have ever published a poem? I mean, we would have to like do a complex. I've math never formula. seen a, a yellow pages ad for a poet. Come on, really? That's, that's have you ever one. seen a yellow pages ad for a poet? Yeah, I bet they exist, but that they're very weird people if they're putting yellow pages ads in there. <laughs> I don't even think people have the yellow pages anymore. Well, certainly not put anymore. an ad in one of You're telling me that there's never been in any yellow, yellow, any yellow pages ads, in all of America ever an that'd ad that says that'd be an interesting period poet. I don't know how to do it. Let's start calling the gambit and being like, I need to place an ad, poet for hire. I wanna I, yeah, like I wanna let's let's start putting like uh let's start putting like ads, like uh personal ads in the paper, you know, like in the back page, let's start taking that, out. I mean, you probably could now. I'm sure they're cheap. No one hey, is using them anymore. I want, a, I want about an, a thirty second of the back page. How they're like, okay, that? we we want you any know? money we can get. But uh, but yeah, I mean, isn't that doesn't this the question you asked? I think ultimately kind of comes down to money in some way, and that's and that's maybe the problem, right? Is or sex, which maybe that's why people want money is to get sex, but. <laughs> Uh, that, but that's the problem, right? Because that's the wrong focus entirely. And I don't know. And I don't. I think some cultures have been sex, better. There's not going to be anybody around to read any poetry. Well, I'm not. <laughs> sex is fine. I'm not saying sex is bad. But if that's the focus of your life, that's probably bad, right? Like if that's your main thing, that's probably not great. I would you know? say sex has probably created a lot of. <laughs> oh, it certainly has as a side effect. <laughs> <laughs> or cause and effect. <laughs> or the lack of it. Sure, it's probably sure. created more poetry than the getting of it. So, Jamie, thank you for joining us tonight on the podcast. That was wonderful. It's been my pleasure. I, I enjoy your podcast, especially because, you know, we're so sort of locked into our schedules and, and uh, our smartphones and our social media presence and all this thing that, that it's rare that we get to sit and have an hour and a half long conversation about yeah. people, you know, you sit for 15 minutes and have a coffee and you move on. But like, this was really nice to sit down and have like a very prolonged conversation. Absolutely. I, I, I loved it. You made me think about things. I didn't think of, so that's great. <laughs> great. It was really nice being on. Uh, and uh, I hope Joseph will come back in so he can sign off as well. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, it might be nice. <laughs> we'll just fade out. Just people fade won't. People out. won't notice people he wasn't notice there at we the just end. Edit some more of this nonsensical <laughs> was... talking from earlier into this part. And it was more <laughs>
because you can't see it You're gonna have to feel it Talking about love Talking about love It's the power and the glory It's the key to every story Talking about love Talking about love I'm talking about love I'm talking about love When you find yourself Alone in your darkest night Look inside yourself Find the light Everybody wants to have it But first you've got to find it in yourself Talking about love Talking about love Yeah, because you can't see it You're gonna have to feel it Talking about love Talking about love When you find yourself Washed out in a city of light Look inside yourself 